this is this is this is this this is hidden gem. This is hidden gem. This is hidden gem. Welcome back, everybody. So, um, this is episode 25, Hidden Gems. We have Tony Blackman here today, and we're going to go deep into her lineage of hip-hop roots and get to know Tony today uh, the best we can. Um, so, you ready to get this started? Yes, yes. Happy Sunday. Happy, happy Sunday. <laughs> um, where does hip-hop begin for you, Tony? Where does hip-hop begin? For me, hip-hop begins as a little girl hopping and locking. Okay. That's like the beginning of hip-hop for me is dancing, moving, and um, yeah. And then I think then it went to um, rapping with my friends on the bus on the way to school. Okay. There was some graffiti in the middle in there, but we got caught and got busted. <laughs> um so was it you started you grew up in california right i grew up in the bay area 35 miles east of oakland it's a, a town called pittsburgh but with no h at the end okay okay and then when did you move down to dc i went to dc when i was 17 i went to dc to go to howard um, okay university in in uh, washington and I always knew I was going to New York or D.C. I knew since I was nine years old. I was going to one of those two places. And then when I got there, I didn't know how much it would feel like home and become home. Um, but I stayed for a very long time. How, how many years did you stay in D.C. for? Because you went to New York, right? Okay. Um, at least 12 years. At least 12 years? Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Um, coming up, who, who were your mentors uh, coming up in the scene, um, both, I guess, in California and in New York? Did you have mentors that paid the I way think, for you? Well, my very first mentor was my Aunt Jennifer, who passed recently. She was a poet and an English oh, teacher. And um, she would take my cousin and I, we would go to all of the musical arts events in Berkeley, um, you know, the radical, the radical stuff. And um, at UC Berkeley, and um, it heavily influenced me in becoming an artist. And I think um, by the time I got to DC, you know, I was at Howard during an era where everybody was there. So I was in college when uh, Diddy was there. Uh, mm -hmm. um, there's a whole bunch of folks I'm forgetting right now. Shy, the, the R&B group Shy was there. Um, the group Pure Soul. Um, there were a bunch of writers. Uh, William Jelani Cobb was there. Uh, Raz Baraka, the mayor of Newark. Like, they're, they're, like, there's such a long list of people who have made an impact on the world that were my classmates, you know, around on campus around the same time. Um, so there was a lot of inspiration. There was a lot of affirmation. There, was, uh, there were a lot of opportunities for me to visualize myself also doing what I wanted to do. I knew a lot of entrepreneurs. I knew a lot of social entrepreneurs, a lot of writers. And um, so it wasn't a stretch 
for me to think about being on purpose? So, um, what came first when you were coming up? Was it the was it the um, hip hop uh, theaters uh, that that you were working with in in, in this, when you went to Howard? Or does yeah, it all tie yeah. in? I was still at Howard. I was doing um doing a lot of stuff. You know, they didn't call it. It was hip hop. It became called hip hop theater. But what okay. I was doing, I started a project called the Hip Hop Arts Movement, yes. and it was to bring together theater, uh, and, uh, poetry, spoken word, and rap, and to have beatboxing and percussion and upright bass and some singing. And so it was this this idea of a theatrical presentation of poetry and rap, but bringing it all together, and. Um, I think those that, that those were my roots as a hip hop theater pioneer. Um, mm -hmm. I got I was blessed to go on a trip to London where I performed at a festival with um, Kwame Alexander, who is now a celebrated children's author. And while there, I got to meet so many other people who were also doing hip hop theater, <laughs> like the same exact time. Like I met, and that's when I first met Ty. Ty is the MC, the legendary MC from the UK who passed away from COVID um, a couple months ago. So you probably saw like tributes to him online. And Ty was a legend for many, many reasons. And um, but I remember because he had a project called Ghetto Grammar, and it was Freestyle Union, but in the UK. Okay. And, um, so there were all these different things that were kind of coinciding at the same time. I met some cats who were doing stuff in the theaters with, with rap, poetry, drama, and dance as well. Yeah, so it kind of all came out of my time. It was, it was a creative time in D.C. Um, there was a poet by the name of Kenneth Carroll, Kenny Carroll in D.C. Um, and Kenny Carroll was like a, a big brother in poetry in many ways and created a lot of opportunities for me in terms of finding space for the kind of hip hop stuff I wanted to do. Free space is the key word. <laughs> That's always a key word. <laughs> um, throughout this whole Hidden Gen series, your name has been brought up so many times and the Freestyle Union is such an iconic place. Um, how, did, how, did, how did that whole thing come about, like the whole process and like, how did, how did it originate for you? Like, like, what was your way of starting that whole thing? Well, you know, uh, Freestyle Union came about, uh, I guess, primarily because I was, I was doing, there was a mentor of mine, Ethelbert Miller, who is, um, everyone knows him as a cultural archivist and a writer, poet. And he was the director of the African American Resource Center at Howard. And Ethelbert said, you got to focus. You got to learn to wash your bowl, baby girl. And so he told me this story um, that he says, have you ever watched those Kung Fu flicks? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so in those mm -hmm. Kung Fu flicks, you got the dudes that are gambling. You got the dudes that are getting drunk and getting high. Yep. You got the dudes that are with the prostitutes, right? Yeah. You got the dudes that are lazy, that sleep all day. Then you walk into the kitchen and there's this one guy who is washing his boat. Even while he's washing dishes, he's practicing his form. He's getting clear. He is uh, working towards mastery. So when the compound gets attacked, the ones who are having sex with the prostitutes, they're naked. 
These other cats are too high or too drunk. The other's not paying attention. But that one dude kicks everybody's ass. Mm -hmm. So you got to learn to watch your bowl. And that's how Freestyle Union came about because I decided I was going to focus on hip hop. And okay. I was going to focus on the art of performance. So at the time, I was taking every performance that came my way. And then I wanted, I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn how to become a better MC. And so um, I, I remember going to Terrence Nicholson Sub-Z. And I remember going to Sub-Z saying, hey, I want to do this. I have this idea. And um, so we went to the State of the Union, the now defunct State of the Union. Um, but we realized when the MCs came, nobody bought drinks. Because real heads, when they come to rhyme, they come to rhyme. Mm -hmm. So, and that's when I went to Kenny, and Kenny was like, I got a spot for you in Southeast D.C. It's called Eight Rock Cultural Arts Center. It's on Good Hope Road and Martin Luther King Avenue. And that's how it, that's how it all kind of um, unfolded from there. And how, how, how big did this whole free time you get? Like, how, how, how big did the whole, because it started off small, right? And then it's kind of. It started off like seven people. With yeah. With a boombox. Wow. In the space. And then it just grew every two weeks. It grew every month. It grew. Um, the first two years we were meeting every Monday night, you know, so it was almost like church. Mm -hmm. It was almost like Bible study for MCs or <laughs> going to the dojo. And um, that, that it grew at one point we moved from eight, we moved from eight rock. Um, we had outgrown eight rock and then went to a place called um, HR 57. There were a couple of venues in between random venues on Georgia Avenue um, that were probably uh, breaking all codes and illegal. <laughs> but um, we went to HR 57. HR 57 was a, a, a spot on Ninth Street that was a big um, jazz and blues history, historical type center. And HR 57 provided space. And at one point, there were anywhere from 100 to 125 people um, showing up to Freestyle Union. We never, uh, we didn't advertise. It was all word of mouth. All word of mouth, wow. And um, yeah, it, 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 and, and, it, and I think what was most beautiful about it at that time in hip hop history is that there was the element of purity, the element of, um, of authenticity. Uh, it, it, I mean, it was peak creativity. There was all kinds of hip hop in existence, like 20 different kinds of hip hop. If you wanted to listen to hip hop, you got to choose. It wasn't just this one in the can, inside of the box thing. Was it, was it like a structure to it when you when you did the Freestyle Union? Was it like a structure when you went in there? Yeah, okay. the structure developed over time because the, first of all, the more younger cats, the teenagers started to come. Yeah. So then that's when I was like, oh, we really need structure. And then more people started to come. And then you would have the random rappers who were coming to battle anybody that would battle them. And um, usually the ones who started battles weren't that good. And so what would happen is they would kill the vibe. Mm. And so then, um, my my gut my goal was to keep the vibe positive, to keep the vibe yeah. strong, to keep.
keep the vibe on a high vibration. And that was the focus. And so in keeping on a high vibration, there were certain things that we needed to do. And that's when the structure grew out of that. There was an elder poet by the name of M. Willie Ascari who would walk around D.C. He had a big staff. He had the goatee. And um, he would sell poems for a dollar, like that kind of cat. But he stood, he would come and watch, and he would share um, unsolicited advice with me after every one. And, um, but he shared gems. And there were some things that he said to me that influenced how I started to shape um, the event. A lot of it was intuitive organization. A lot of it came from feminine energy. Um, uh, as, as, as a woman, when a woman is, is organizing an environment, there's certain touches that are going to be present in terms of making the space feel safe, the nurturing, making it smell good, ambiance. And that just came uh, very naturally. But in Willie started to talk about, you know, having ground rules, the importance of ground rules. Like he was the one who insisted that um, I put the bitch whole thing as a rule that is that we don't do that here. I mm. was afraid to do it. You are? I was afraid to do it because I thought everybody was going to leave because I remember being criticized on a panel and this one guy told me I was trying to feminize hip hop um, because I was adding rules. And so there was always, there were always some sort of attack that was coming. And so, but in Willie gave me the confidence to just go ahead. And so um, I made that a rule. The bitch whole thing is not a discussion that came out of the fact that there were so many young girls that were coming because they were following the teenage boys. Mm. And so they showed up and that, and nobody left. Everybody stayed. And I said it and I was like, look, if that's what you're into, you can do it. We're not going to debate. You just don't do it here within the two hours we're together. And everybody's like, cool. And then the next week I said, okay, that was easy. There's no <laughs> battling here. So I just knew people were going to cringe. But a lot of cats were really tired of whack MCs coming in and killing the vibe. Just killing the vibe. Like they would just totally kill the vibe. And that was like the, the initial, that was the reason for the, um, the uh, no battling rule. But it was uh, Sub Z who introduced me to the Art of War and the book by Sunju. Yep. And, and in the Art of War, Sunju actually talks about how a true warrior doesn't bleed. A true warrior does not sweat. And that your focus should be mastery, not your opponent. So if I'm focused on, if I want to become the dopest MC possible, if I'm focused on Monk, I'm not focused on myself. I'm not building my skills. I'm trying to dominate Monk, which is a whole different kind of energy and a whole different intention. And so you lose a part of, you lose a part of, of the work you could be doing, the progress you could be making. So there was like a science to a lot of what uh, was implemented. Wow. And how long did Freestyle Union go for? How, how long did the whole... I think, well, Freestyle Union started February of 1994. Okay. It grew into, it went from just an a, a event to a uh, more of a workshop vibe. Um, but it was, it was always a participant centered workshop. Mm -hmm. Um, I was studying organizational communication training development and I was in my first year of grad school, a new book, newbie rookie being very idealistic about how what I was learning could be applied.
vibes of hip hop. And, um, and so it grew from that and then it became a collective. So a performance collective, because what was happening, we would get invites to perform for any and all hip hop events that came through DC. So from a huge event to opening for Wu-Tang at University of Maryland, to small like street festivals, to Georgia Avenue Day Festival, to the Adams Morning Day Festival, and then 930 Club started to call. And then 930 Club, there was a woman, Lisa White, who was the booking person. And so because Freestyle Union MCs were organized, didn't tag up their walls, um, didn't roll up in with a bunch of entourage, um, Freestyle Union was always welcome. And so that led to Freestyle Union doing, like, I don't know if it was at least 100 different shows at 930 Club. Like, it went from small to bigger and bigger. And then the artists started, their individual acts started to get booked. And so it, it really was an opportunity for the whole community to grow. Yeah. And so what, what caused the whole, you know, I guess the whole halt of the whole Freestyle Union? Like, how come well, it stopped? Well, over over the years, you know what what happens is I was a I'm a I was an arts arts organizer yep. and a hip hop head purist, and I was also a young woman attempting to run a collective filled with young men, and so I didn't know what sexism was, I didn't know what misogyny was. And if I was experiencing it, I couldn't even identify what I was experiencing or articulate it for you because I was, I was naive. You know what I mean? I didn't know. I also was, in terms of my lack of leadership skills, I was an overgiver and an overdoer. And when you run an organization with the intent of making it a complete democracy, it never works. There has to be someone at the helm and there has to be one or two or three people at the helm. And um, my, the, one, one of my biggest mistakes was allowing when things would start, when I felt a vibe go wrong, I allowed it to go thinking it would work itself out because I didn't want to deal with confrontation and I was avoiding conflict. But in avoiding conflict, it made the conflict bigger and it made it worse. And then um, when I started to get more publicity, so I had a, a, a crew, what grew at a freestyle union was a crew called Daughters of the Cypher. Okay. And Daughters of Cypher was an all-female crew, right? And uh, some of the people in Daughters of Cypher were MCMCs and some weren't. Some were developing, you know what I mean? But when Daughters of Cypher, when we did stuff, it was interesting because there was a sea of male rappers and then you had Daughters of Cypher, right? So we ended up in like the Washington Post or the Washington Times, like a big story. And then the, the, this was when the rift started to happen. This is very classic. Like the life of most collectives, the life of most artist collectives is three to seven years. Ethelbert Miller explained this to me, but I was too naive to understand it. And if you do not handle conflict as it arises, if you do not figure out a way for everybody to get paid and to get equal shine, the likelihood, particularly when you have a young woman at the helm, with a bunch of young men rappers, it can't. It is, there's going to be an explosion, and that's what happened. So Dars and Cipher started to get all of this press. It doesn't mean that Dars and Cipher was doper. Yeah, it meant that Dars and Cipher was interesting and unique yeah. because it was women, you know. So that is the space. And so 
one of the things that I learned that the ending for me was a very painful ending. It was like a movie. Um, I want to write about it one day. There's a lot of stuff I don't necessarily feel comfortable talking about in an Instagram live video because we don't have a time to cover it in detail. But um, there was definitely gender conflict. There was a lack of maturity. There was the envy that comes up in musical groups. This is not specific to hip hop. This is called being in the music business. And um, there was a, a lack of business representation. Like there should have been at a certain stage, there should have been management in place to handle everybody, not just me, but everybody. And I think that their DC has so much talent, but staying in DC, the talent doesn't get recognized. The talent, especially in the nineties, the talent didn't get recognized. And I'll say this very delicately, not to diss other cities or the city that I'm in. Yeah. But the, the lyrical capacity and ability of the MCs and the DMV at that time surpassed every city I had visited. Wow. Every city. And I'm talking as a, not as a hip hop purist, because I don't listen to rap that way. I'm not listening to everything you guys say. I, my brain is not smart. I'm not smart enough. I, I, I'm not scientific like Dr. Chris Amdim. I, I'm just not that bright. I like, if I feel you, if I can feel you and you make me laugh or you make me smile or you make me cry, there were so many different styles of MCs in the freestyle union. That's what made it beautiful. And that's why the 930 Club called us over and over and over again. Right? It was the diversity of talent, the range of talent, and the brilliance of the individuals where you had individuals who would be considered uh, blue collar but have read the books, who can tell you about the breakdown of wars, who can speak to the Quran and the Bible, who know um, the periodic table, who can give you TV and cartoon trivia, who can quote uh, famous poetry. Like this is, that was the level of brilliance in the hip hop, in the DC hip hop community. Absolutely amazing. And um, it, was it was timing, you know, the way the music industry was set up the way the DC music scene was set up. And then also, um, for me, I'll say this time and time again, being naive, naive to what, uh, naive to what sexism looked like and, and not being able to call a spade a spade, you know? Um, and, 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 and leadership wise, hoping that things would work themselves out. Yeah. There, were, there was a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of betrayal, a lot of mistrust. Um, it took me about seven years to recover from wow. my hip hop wounds because there were the music industry wounds, the, the, relation, the felt relationships, the felt friendships, the feeling of betrayal, um, the feeling that, that I wasn't looked out for or protected, you know, by the men who I had. I, I, built, I built so much of Freestyle Union, you know what I mean? I sacrificed so much, so much of my time, my efforts, my resources, my money, and, and, and there was so little acknowledgement because there was always the expectation that this is a woman's role. And if you look in the history of hip hop, every city I go to, there's a Tony Blackman. I'm not special. 
every city in the world, there is a woman somewhere collecting the money at the door, putting the posters up, making sure the chairs are organized. And um, yeah, I'm in a new phase now, uh, really wanting to see hip hop survive and really wanting to see the true artist prosper and to feel fulfilled yeah. and um, to define success for themselves because the music, the climate of the music industry doesn't necessarily nurture nor support, you know, yeah. artistry per se. Uh, man, I love talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> love talking to you. Um, there was a, uh, there's another program that you created called Rhyme Like, Rhyme Like a Girl. Yes, yes, yes. And um, I know, I know, oh, you're wearing it. <laughs> I know a lot of female um, MCs and, and poets uh, were interested on this, this question right here. What's the whole concept behind it and how does it work? Um, is it still running right now? Yeah, you know, Rhyme Like a Girl, it was hard, man, trying to launch it. I ended up, I had, I had, I used to have a mentor by the name of Melissa Bradley. Melissa Bradley is an uh, innovator, um, a leading expert in the field of social entrepreneurship. And um, it was because of her and a few other kind, caring people who believed in me that I was able to really get my, my feet planted in the soil of understanding that I can create a project, a business that is about making good and making money, making impacting, impact and making a difference. And I'm like a girl was the first thing where I just went all in. I had gotten a fellowship from Soros Foundation um, to 02 or 03. And I started it out all wrong. I was trying to recruit girls from schools, high schools. But at the time, girls didn't call themselves MCs. So we spent a year trying to recruit for MCs. We had flyers, business schools. The girls would say, you know, they, were, they weren't MCs. They were like, oh, I write poetry. I don't do that. I don't do that. So then a year later, I realized, oh, let's call it rap and poetry. And when I called it rap and poetry, the girls showed up. And then every time the girls would come with a notebook and they were like, hey, Jovan, they would say, oh, you know what? I write poetry, but I don't really rap. My brother, he raps. My cousin, John, he raps. And, you know, Jose from next door, he raps. But I don't rap. I don't rap, Miss Black. I don't rap. And then, but I got this one rap. Can I do my one, my one rap? And then they would open a book and spit bars. And that's when the light bulb went off. But it took me way, it took me so long to figure this out because I was in my hip hop bubble. Mm -hmm. I was in my hip hop head bubble, loving hip hop forever. And it didn't, it never occurred to me. Once again, blind eye to patriarchy, sexism, misogyny, the fact that women, these young, these younger girls couldn't even place themselves in the context of, of being a rapper. That was real. It's different now, but that was real in like, oh, three, you know, oh, two, oh, three, oh, four. And so we got, but yeah. And, and then where I'm like a girl grew out of that. We were doing, we had a partnership with Girls Inc. I did work with Girl Scouts and a bunch of different organizations and schools. And then kind of faded. And then I started to do ciphers in my apartment when I lived in Bed-Stuy and MC started to come. And then um, Daphne, whose last name I can't remember, she works with the Hip Hop Theater Festival in New York. Um, but Daphne 
um, set up uh, a partnership with New School University in Manhattan. Okay. And that's when it was like the female freestyle union, like like 20, 25 women MCs. And it was set up so guys could come, but they had to watch. <laughs> so you, it was crazy when you watch male MCs, you know, the right beat on. You see the guys on the edge of their seat, like, um, but it was um, it was beautiful, and I don't think I've ever stopped. Even when I didn't have funding, we just did it from my living room. Mm, I just never okay. stopped, and then it grew, and then some somewhere in the, around twenty twelve, twenty thirteen, it really got the momentum came back, and we started to um, do performances, and so we were doing but it was just community performances, like. Mama's Hip Hop Kitchen with Latere and Kathleen Woods at Hostos College in the Bronx had a big event. We would plug into different events. And then um, womanist type stuff, like Eve Insler had, who did the Vagina Monologues. She had a festival called Take Back the Night. Um, Michaela Angela Davis, uh, the, the writer um, and image activist, uh, had Rhyme Like a Girl do a commercial for BET. So we did a lot of different things. Um, and then we, I was fortunate because I was, you know, I was a hip hop ambassador since 2001, the first one. And a lot of MCs who were affiliated and through my work, I was able to, they would call and say, what about such and such? And be able to co-sign, yeah, yeah, he's dope. Yeah, yeah, she's good. And so five of the Rhyme Like a Girl MCs actually started to do hip hop diplomacy work. And uh, Rhyme Like a Girl took its first official tour in 2018 to Uganda. Oh, so you guys had a tour? Yeah, cool. it was nice. What, what, what state did you guys hit up? Where'd you guys we go? Were, we were in Africa, in East Africa. Okay, okay, so it's went overseas. East okay. Yeah, and so, you know, we did performances, we spoke at schools, and um, we recorded with some local women artists, and uh, and also some of the guys, some some of the guys too, some dope male MCs as well. Okay. Yeah. So is that is that program still running right now? Or like well, I know I know with COVID and everything is not right now, but it's still Rhyme like a girl right now. Rhyme like a girl. It's a collective. The commitment is to create create an entity for the. It's a small circle of artists. Create an entity for artists to be able to move forward their careers. So okay. we're in this kind of strategic planning mode. We hosted a workshop uh, series this summer called I Am an MC. And it okay. was a rap workshop for women. So we met on Zoom. About 24 women signed up. 10 actually showed up. And these were grown women, which was beautiful. Because everybody was 30 to 52 years old. And there were women who always dreamed of rapping and never rapped. There were a couple of seasoned MCs who had stopped rapping, hadn't rapped in a long time, who joined in a couple of times. But um, if that's my hard work not for women, but for MCs of a certain age to understand that you didn't start rapping to become Jay-Z. You started rapping because it made you feel good. So don't stop rapping because you're not releasing a record. Don't start rapping because you don't have a product offering or something to sell. You rap the same way people play golf, they shoot hoops, they garden, they write poetry, they knit. Well, we rap. So don't fall into the trap of the corporate powers that be that tell you that you're too old 
to practice your culture, that you're too old to live your art form. That's the most nonsensical thing ever. I did an interview recently with, um, I've done a few interviews over COVID and I was just fascinated by some of these folks who are legends, are influential people in the culture who keep referencing young, young people. Tony works with young people, Tony works with young people. And I finally now confidently say, no, I work with old people. I work with hip hop heads. I work with hip hop heads. And I remember Bahamadia telling me years ago, I was in Philly in 2004 and Bahamadia said, I'm going to have a mic in my hand, even if I have a cane in the other. And my hair is all gray. And I never forgot when Bahamadia said that. She was like, uh-uh, this is, our, this is ours. This is ours. So one of my missions in life, the idealist in me, wants the whole world of hip-hop to know on every corner of the globe. When we sit down, once this COVID is over and there's a cookout, there's a holiday dinner. You know the same way people used to have sing-alongs? Mm -hmm. We should be having ciphers. Yes. Like you should be having a cipher with your kids, your grandkids, your nieces and nephew, the neighborhood kids on the porch or in the backyard. We should be having a cipher. Because it makes us feel good. It centers us. It grounds us. It heals us. And it keeps us connected. Okay, I start preaching when I start talking about that. This is my church right here. No, I love it. I love it. <laughs> this is what the episode is all about. <laughs> I watched your uh, your TED Talk episode on, on the cipher, and it was it was an amazing episode that that uh, you did. Um, you're I learned about you like going on your Instagram. You're a very spiritual minded person. Um, so, what is the whole mindful mindfulness workshops about? Like, and how how did you go about that? Oh, the mindfulness stuff is just about main, using. Using hip-hop to maintain peace and sanity. I think one of the beautiful things about uh, Freestyle Union in D.C. is that we met so often for so long that there became a level of comfort so that when MCs would walk into the door, they would leave their day outside. And I, and I had created like a space, you know? I think that, and then the other MCs started to support me in creating an energy and a vibration. And so that, because in order to truly get open, you have to feel comfortable. You have to feel safe. To take your getting open from performance out there to expression from in here, those are two different things. Now, both can rock a crowd. Both can rock a crowd, but they're two different experiences when people can feel you in this way. And so that is my hip hop. My hip-hop is meditative. My hip-hop gets you naturally high. My hip-hop makes you forget the stress of the world. That's what my hip-hop is when it comes to rap. And I, and I, the mindfulness work is really wanted to remind people that, you know, the cypher can be a container for your spiritual consciousness, whether you're atheist, agnostic, agnostic Muslim, Christian, Buddhist, Jewish, or whatever. Um, and that's why it's the most popular listening to genre in the world. That's why people are breakdancing and having festivals. It, well, nothing's happening in 2020, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> what um, what do you have uh, laid down? What, what lies in the future for Tony Blackman? Oh, it's the mindfulness stuff. Yeah? Hip hop meditation content series. Okay. Um, I'm working on consistent focus. One of my weaknesses, one of my flaws 
is being the queen of doing the most and doing too much at once. So um, I've been working with this coach, Ozioma, strategic business coach. And then I asked a few guys in my life who I know are super smart. I gave them permission to critique me. Like, if you see me, you catch me or whatever. And so I, I have a team of folks I can go to for advice. Um, and they give me, and they're honest with me because they know that I'm willing to listen. And um, I, I'm focusing in on the mindfulness music, um, developing a hip hop meditation workshop. I did it with, you know, with uh, universities this winter and then COVID came right when I had a rhythm. And so uh, Polaris and I, Polaris is the MC from uh, Freestyle in New York and from Rhyme Like a Girl. And, but she also is a fourth grade math and science teacher and she's brilliant. And so uh, she, I've been partnering with her on how to develop a hip hop meditation and rap workshop for kids. And so we're doing free sessions during the month of August as a way to give back because you know, that's what, if you're really hip hop, you contribute to community, you know, Back in the day, I remember when I was in Zulu Nation and in D.C., I was in charge of the Zulu Queens uh, for a year. And one of the things I remember, babe, I'm saying, there's no, in hip-hop, there's no word for service. Over the years, this word hip-hop activism developed. But in hip-hop music and culture, up until a certain point, there was no word for service because if you were hip-hop, you served. If, if you were hip-hop, you served. Yes. Yeah, Pope po Polaris. Yeah, oh, is an over ill overlooked X Men character. Oh, that's so where the name comes from. I never knew Spirit. Thank you. I never knew where the name came from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, she's in. Uh, she's from the Bronx, and she's based in Vegas. She's dope. P O L A R Y S S. Okay. Uh, she's on Instagram and everything. But yeah, so that's what we're developing. I have music. Um, I have songs, I have music videos that are being edited, and oh, man. so I can't wait for the videos. I'm really excited it's, for the videos. It's 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 it's, it's on, and I, I'm allowing myself to do what it is that I do. Yeah, and that's what that's what I've been focusing on. And then we have the Global Women Cipher, which is a show that I've done like three times during COVID. And now we're developing it to expand it and. Um, so that's in the works. I'll have more news about that by September. And um, yeah, I'm doing some children's TV show stuff with uh, Kwame Alexander. I got cast. I'm freestyling the word of the day. Uh, okay. It's sort of a, it's not Sesame, it's Sesame Streetish, electric company-ish. So is that already out right now or is it going to be coming down the pipeline? It's on this subscription network that's huge. Age, it's Age of Learning is a company. I can't remember what the network is called. But yeah, it's, it's going to be coming soon. So I'm, I'm excited about it. Um, what is somebody saying? We need a Freestyle Union documentary. We do. We need yes. one. Because, yes. yes, we need one. Because one of, the, one, of the, one of the things that I hate about not having more documentation is that uh, there was an element of excellence and beauty and soul and spirit, no pun intended, spirit equality, and spirit that Freestyle Union possessed. Yeah. But yeah, you were, you were talking about uh, making a documentary. Uh, yeah, oh yeah. yeah, spirit was talking about, yeah. It, it has to happen. So 
the key though is without with with the missing footage like the storytelling is is imperative and so that there would have to be a budget just for the interviews it would have to be uh, he said the natural magnetism was surgical <laughs> it there would have to be a budget for the interviews because there there it's i think with freestyle union the the stories that need to be told are not regular hip hop stories yeah. You know, to understand, like to listen to Subzi and, and to understand to Terrence how martial arts influenced, you know, his flow and his commitment to the craft and him being a visual artist. To listen to Kokai and to have Kokai talk about, you know, um, how music and growing up in the DMV shaped who he is in that space, you know. Um, I think those things. Like little things. Brainchild was at um, Duke Ellington uh, School of the Arts. I think so was Black Indian. Like it was a whole crew who were at Duke Ellington School of the Arts. I, and I've had a few artists tell me when they came to Freestyle Union, um, they were depressed. And they didn't know what direction to take in life. And that having the cipher change their, the course in, of their life and their destinies completely like I've had I've had hey Joey I've had a few artists say that to me you know um I've had artists tell me that being around um the older MCs Philly was a Duke too yes and so then telling the story of Philly you know and as this Filipino MC you know in DC like there there's just so many unique stories um Boogeyman Ghost just unique stories who boogeyman goes whose brilliance is beyond measure you know when i think about who he was as a young mc growing up in dc the world has no idea about the richness the complexity um and not just the talent and that's what i would want the documentary to reflect that it was beyond just talent and I think that there's something special about Washington, D.C. in terms of the soul. I don't know if it's still there, but I'm speaking to the, the 90s. There was a certain soul that was present and the backdrop of Marion Barry, you know, as the mayor and the backdrop of go-go music. There were a lot of people who said to me, you won't be able to do this. First of all, you went to Howard. Nobody's listening to you locally. Second of all, you're a girl. Nobody wants to hear you. Third, this is the land of go-go. So I don't know why you're bothering with this and how dare you think you can do this in Southeast D.C. Not only did we do it in Southeast D.C., we did it on the corner of Good Hope Road and Martin Luther King Avenue across the Anacostia River. And it worked. It worked. And the people came. And um, there was no, it grew and it grew and it grew on its own with very little promotion because it was necessary and it was important. And I think there are a lot of stories that need to be told about hip hop from that yeah. era where I had a debate with somebody recently, a New Yorker in my peer group about, you know, the evolution of hip hop. And he always brings up, you know, very New York centric statements about the hip hop and the eighties. And I'm like, but you don't like that. There's, there's levels to this. He was never an MC, so he wouldn't understand it from the way that I would understand it. You know, he wasn't in him. He was a photographer, you know, um, it's different. 
But yeah, I think there's so many layers of stories that could be told, beautiful stories, you know, um, about life and living and loving hip hop, which I think is imperative. Um, so yeah, I've talked to a few folks about documentary stuff. A few folks have approached me, but nothing has panned out uh, um, as of yet. Um, so we'll see how that unfolds. I will say I, 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 um, I signed a book deal Tuesday morning. Um, congrats, I got the congrats. contract. The book is called Wisdom of the Cipher, um, God Publisher. And um, the book is um, spiritual insights that I gleaned from years of organizing ciphers. So a lot of it grew out of Freestyle Union. Okay. And I was very unfortunate. I was very fortunate to come into contact with the MCs and the artists that I did with during that area of Freestyle Union, both male and female MCs and producers and DJs and the B-boys and the B-girls and the graph artists. Um, it was just a, it was a beautiful community, you know, so uh, please spell it Cypher, C-I-P-H-E-R. Why did the children spell it with a Y? So I'm keeping up with the times and I spell Cypher with a Y as well because it's more popular that way. And hey, you talk about this in your TED talk. You break this down. <laughs> yeah, I yep. know where there's some cats from the 90s. They're like, why are you spelling it like that? It wasn't spelled like that before. And I'm like, y'all, we got to grow with the times. So, yep. yeah. <laughs> so, Tony, this is the part of the episode I give everybody a platform to do. Um, is there anything? What do you say? My heart is broken. <laughs> is there anything you want to get out to all of us? You know, just any any last words you want to say to all of us? No, I, I mean, I think I really just want us to remember that hip hop belongs to us. Yeah. That we don't have to be pissed off and feel betrayed by the music industry. That that it, it's imperative that we support the artists we love and support the artists we like. And if we haven't heard any, go find them. Mm -hmm. And there's good music coming from every generation right now. There's so much good music being made right now. Find those artists. And if you can't figure out which platforms they own, create your own. We yeah. live in a techno technological age where you can actually create your own platform to feature these artists. You can get on live and interview these artists who you want other people to know. You can yep. create a YouTube show featuring these artists. You can DJ a playlist. You can write a blog. You can write an article about these artists. And guess what? These artists exist all over the world. Don't just stay limited to East Coast hip hop or West Coast hip hop um, or hip hop from the US. This, this global hip hop that will move your entire soul, you know, from Colombia to Ecuador to uh, South Africa, Senegal, uh, Kenya. This, there's so much music, man, available to us. Let's listen to it. Let's promote it. Let's share it. Let's live it. And just be careful of becoming one of those sour pusses. Those, those hip old school hip hop sour pusses. Don't be that. <laughs> Don't hate on everything coming out. Yes, Havana, Cuba. Cuba has some of the dopest, most soulful hip hop in the world. Don't become a sour puss. Don't become a mean old lion. Don't do that. Don't be grumpy hip hop head. Don't do that. Y'all know. <laughs> Y'all know when we were young, we dealt with them. Yeah. 
we dealt with them and we knew what that felt like to deal with them the grumpy the grumpy old heads so don't be one that's it that's my word <laughs> of the day and to really take advantage of um the beauty of hip-hop and to find that you know hip-hop that soothes you and um we're going through a crazy crisis right now it's a public health crisis and we have got to take care of our minds. Um, there's a lot of people checking out right now. There are a lot of people um, wavering in and out of depression. A lot of people whose immune systems are breaking down. Um, that means get real gangster about your self-care and your health care. You know, do what you got to do. Put on your favorite hip-hop song to get your body moving and exercise. And Joey Too Fresh is mad at everybody. Hush. <laughs> like say, and so we should be quiet before the WAP debate starts. I'm not <laughs> Tony, thank you so much for all your contributions to the DC and DMV yes. culture. We all love you. We all appreciate you. And I definitely want to be uh, keeping out for your book and all your projects coming down. So you yeah, understand. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for recognizing the women of hip hop for the DMV and I'm sending you love and I want you to take care of you too. All I right, definitely love. Okay. Much love. Peace. Take care guys. All right. Bye y'all.